Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, college basketball fans, and welcome back to the On the Bubble podcast. Week two, it was a really exciting week this week in college basketball. There's a lot to get into, so let's not mess around. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Jack Callison, alongside my co-partner, Patrick Feltz. Patrick, this was an electric week of college basketball, a lot of great games across the board. Really fun. It feels like opening week over the last couple of years has been getting more and more interesting. The opening weeks of the season, that is. A lot of really good games, a lot of upsets. Uh, We're learning a lot about these teams, a ton of great matchups. And I think that's going to keep up here as we get into feast week. Doesn't get much better than this. Absolutely not. This is the the peak of the non-conference schedule. So let's just dive into it. Uh, There's only one team that we can start off with. And That's the rise of the Spartans. Michigan State had an unbelievable week this week, and it kind of started off on the aircraft carrier. Before we go into the game itself, Patrick, how did you feel about the aircraft carrier game? So Michigan State, first half of this game, because the sun had not set yet, was playing into the sun. They had the sun in their eyes, which, listen, there's only like one arena in the country where you usually have to deal with that, and that's Hinkle Fieldhouse because of the weird windows. However, that's that's almost a moot point because it, it's on the other side of it, and it, it doesn't really play a huge role. This was completely unheard of. Like that, I don't want to say that's the reason Michigan State lost this game because I feel like, you know, it, it could have gone either way. It's not like Gonzaga played a terrible game of basketball. I think they played okay. Um, we'll get to them later, but. Really, I was impressed by this Michigan State team because my question coming into the season with Michigan State was, what are they going to do up front? What's it going to look like at center? And Sissoko's answered every single one of these questions. I'm really impressed with what he looks like. And in a Big Ten that's really deep in the front court, Trace Jackson Davis, Hunter Dickinson, you name it, this guy is absolutely going to be up there with the best of them. Michigan State this season to me, this is one of those classic Izzo teams that doesn't have a true superstar to dominate the ball. There isn't like a Cassius Winston or Denzel Valentine or whoever, or like last season, they, they had some of these guys. Um, you know, there was Miles Bridges a couple of years ago. And um, last season with, uh, why can I not remember the guy that, that went one and done? Um, Are you thinking Max Christie? Max Christie. Thank you. How did I forget his name? Uh, they've had a lot of these guys over the years, but, you know, you look at some of these classic Michigan State teams and it, it's really a, a scoring by committee and, and everybody can kind of have their night whenever it so happens to be their night. Uh, a lot of team basketball, not a lot of ball dominant players, a lot of passing, a lot of defense. This feels like one of those classic Izzo teams. So I, I think, you know, you, you probably need one of those true alpha types to be able to make a final four run. But looking at this Michigan State team, this is the this is the makeup of an Izzo squad that is just going to be so pesky in conference play and is really going to make some noise in the big time. Yeah. I feel like we all kind of counted Michigan state out as soon as we entered the season, especially with this tough non-conference schedule that they faced. And in terms of the aircraft carrier game, the whole sun beaming down on the court, like setting right behind the basket, it just wasn't very well thought out. Yeah, <laughs> and as soon as Twitter got a hold of it, it turned into a public debate, and I I think that it's been fun, but I think it might be time to retire the aircraft carrier game. It was hard to take anything from this game in terms of a fundamental analysis of these two teams. They both shot, uh, I believe, 
Michigan State shot three for 16 and Gonzaga four for 18 from behind the three-point line. So it's hard to take anything when you have poor shooting on both sides. The one thing that I took away is that both teams are crazy physical. I think we already kind of knew that about Gonzaga. But like you said, the emergence of Maddie Suzoko in that game to begin the season, I think it put America on notice that it, it might be time to move forward with the aircraft carrier games and maybe try something yeah. new that's indoors and not having to battle with the uh, external, you know, whatever mother nature might throw at it. And I think we probably had not done this for a decade for a reason in retrospect. Although yeah. Yeah. I love the concept, but like in practice, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And we, and we saw exactly why. I don't know if that's a hot take. I know some people I've been seeing both ways for, but oh. I just, in my opinion, it was fun to, to watch. And then the poor basketball itself and not being able to take anything away from it, it, it it was tough. It, it was tough to see. I'm not going to hold this loss against Michigan State at all. No, it, I I said it at the beginning. This was more of a loss for Gonzaga playing in this totally. game than than it was for Michigan State because Michigan State one point loss to Gonzaga is arguably the best loss that you can have at that point in the season. And then they turn it around in the Champions Classic and they go to double overtime with Kentucky and end up stealing a game from them. And that really kind of shifts the narrative now to is Michigan state a top 10 team in the country? Yeah. And I think that's a valid conversation to have right now. They're tough, they're physical and they're great up front. And it's crazy to think that we had questions coming into the season about Michigan state's front court. Like, are they going to be able to hang in the big 10? And then they go into Indianapolis and absolutely hang with Oscar Shibway for basically three halves of basketball. When you look at a double overtime game. So you know, and, and I think it's, you know, worth having the conversation about. I didn't expect Oscar Shibway to play at all, and he gets out there on the court. He still looked really good, in my opinion. Like, I don't think he had lost a step at all. Maybe there there were some other questions about this Kentucky team we'll talk about, and, and I think there were also valid concerns about the way the officiating went in this game. You'll talk about it, I'm sure. But, l- listen, this is still a Michigan State team that I, I think there are questions about. However, Everybody in the Big Ten's got questions. Every single team up and down the Big Ten, even to this point in the season, has a ton of questions about them. Last night, I think we can ask even more questions about Michigan, who was kind of the consensus number two team in the country. They just got boat raced by Arizona State. So, I, I, if anything, Michigan State has fewer questions about them than any team in the Big Ten, in my opinion, except for Indiana, which almost puts them in, in a pretty solid two or three there, depending on how you feel about Illinois. And uh, in coming into the season, I wasn't expecting that, but I think that's kind of where we'd ended up. And I'm a little higher on them right now. I'm a little higher on Purdue right now. And I'm definitely lower on Michigan than I was, but that's mostly because of what we saw last night because Holy cow. And I think we'll get to it, but yeah, Michigan state right now, I think kind of by default in the big 10, I I have as a bit of a riser and is definitely a team that can contend for that conference title. Yeah, I think going into the season, when you look at conference schedules and based off, you know, what you've been given, people start to make assumptions and then the season starts and everyone's like, all right, let's hold on. And you kind of have to prove your worth. Michigan State's absolutely proved their worth so far. This game, like you said, I've watched a lot of college basketball and a lot of sports in general. And I think that was the worst officiating on both sides that I had ever seen. Both sides. Jacob Toppin, Jacob Toppin had five fouls 
three of them were on balls like steals basically there were three elbows thrown and somehow all of them got called on Kentucky especially when the first two <laughs> the first one was an Oscar Shebway clearance that was an accidental elbow like not even an elbow but like a tricep to the face got he gets called for one the second one was a Michigan State player throwing elbows at Jacob Toppin he gets Jacob Toppin gets called for being too close and then the third one CJ Frederick gets hit in the face with an elbow and starts bleeding out of his mouth guard and CJ Frederick gets called for one so I don't really know how who what went into this crew but I hope that crew all three of them together don't call another game because that was it was bad especially the whole it wasn't just in the overtime or in double overtime it was throughout the whole game when the game started this was a problem from the get-go and we were all like all the Kentucky and MSU faithful were noticing it and debating it online so that needs to change in terms of the game itself I, I I think if you're like me someone who's a Kentucky fan it's not time to hit the panic button yet I think Michigan State's better than what everyone expected them to be and they're off to a really hot start it's not time to hit the panic button just yet I was really impressed with the emergence of Case and Wallace playing 44 minutes in this game as a true freshman is crazy uh especially when you know there were questions about the exactly and it's there's questions about who's healthy and, and who what the lineup's going to look like. And the fact that he played 44 minutes and had a stat line of 14-5-5 and five with eight steals is a really inspiring sign for BBN. So that's something that's awesome. And you mentioned Oscar didn't really look like he missed a beat with he his foot surgery. No that's the biggest thing for Kentucky, in my opinion. He had 24 and 18 in his first game back. Yeah, and just this the is most vicious blocks you've ever seen. Just absolutely ate some of these Michigan State players. It was it was crazy. He he hasn't lost a single step. And you know, you come into the season talking about national player of the year stuff. Like obviously there's the whole, oh, they don't want to pick a repeat person. But I don't know if the people who select these things are gonna have a choice because he is that good and he, he looks every bit as good as he did last season, every bit as dominant, every bit as much the physical force as he did last season. Even with I was season. discussing I was discussing with some people before the season started, and I was on the train that there's no way that he can be as dominant as he was last year, even if he continues to develop because his style of play, teams are just going to be able to adapt to it. I don't know how he's so good. Like, nothing – he rebounds the ball like any player I've ever seen. Yeah, no, the the way that he – I don't know the way to describe it. It, It's just such a – an unbelievable tenacity for rebounding the way he jumps and snags it. It, 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 I I don't know how to describe it with with words. You just kind of have to watch him do it because the the way he rebounds the ball is so unlike any other player ever. He rebounds like like the Dennis rebounding, like rebounding is it's the the Dennis Rodman, like boom here. Like when he's explaining the rebounds in the last stance, it's that's literally what Oscar does, but he doesn't say it. He just does it. And it's, it's so fun to watch. So I'm glad that he was, you know, looking better. What I didn't like is that Joey Hauser turned into Kevin Durant, 23, one and eight (laughs) after coming off the aircraft carrier with two points. (laughs) I don't think anyone did. That was like his, his welcome to college basketball game. Like, I think that's the best game he's probably played since Marquette. 
Like, I, I don't think you can argue that. I, I think the him and Suzoko with 16, two and eight, and three steals, like the, he was able to shut down Oscar a little bit and get him into some foul trouble later in the game. But this Michigan State team overall is really good. The only thing I'm worried about from a Kentucky aspect is their lack of production from their bench. Now, this game, it was really different because we did have Xavier Wheeler and Oscar both coming off the bench, and they played starter minutes. So it's hard to get a feel about what the actual starters are going to be like when everyone's fully healthy and able to play. The two people I'm looking at the most in this situation are C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves. Both are huge transfers for Kentucky. C.J. obviously last year before he was injured and out for the season. And Antonio this year coming from Illinois State. These are two guys that we're looking to to score and to be perimeter threats, meaning our offense has uh, – Cal, Cal does this. We always run through our big guys. It's always been something you need post presence to be a, a Cal team. And we got into such a rhythm last year feeding Oscar that this year when we look to feed him, now that we have perimeter players and shooting, which is rare for a Kentucky team, we need to be able to space the floor. So that's why you saw Oscar really looking great in that first half of the Michigan State game because when the ball goes to him, they can't all crash because oh. we have CJ and Antonio out on the perimeter to kind of take a little bit of attention away. So them scoring basically two buckets each is really concerning when we need them to be scoring upwards of double digits and CJ ended up doing that last night against South Carolina state. I think he finished with around 17. So it, it's a, it's an inspiring sign, but knowing how to play is going to be really important. And uh, Damian Collins with that too, hopefully he, he's been going through a lot. Um, you know, he, he just unfortunately lost his father, but hopefully yeah. he starts to get in a little bit of a groove and a rhythm and becomes a threat for this Kentucky team too, because he looked great in the offseason on the Bahamas tour. So getting him to be that alley-oop, you know, big man that we go to is going to be really important because we can't do that with Oscar. So it, I think this game is going to be a feeling out process for them. I think Gonzaga on Sunday is going to be a big tell for this team, whether we're really going to see how they play together. We've had a full game now. You might have had two days of practice. So it's going to be really interesting, but I'm not necessarily concerned just because of Michigan State's a better team than I think everyone thought. And there are a lot of external factors going on. And this team just hasn't played together as a full unit really since the beginning of offseason practices. So it's going to be a feeling out process for sure. And, and I'm not concerned yet as a Kentucky fan. And I don't think you should be. I, I think there's a lot to, to like about this team right now. And, you know, Calipari said it himself in that one Twitter video. It's going to take some time for this team to come together. It's not going to be perfect right away. And uh, and I think so far it, it it's kind of been better than I expected when he said that. When he told when he told us that, I was like, all right, okay, they, they might struggle out the gate. I can see them losing the Champions Classic. But they're losing the Champions Classic, but they played a really good game against a really good team. And I, I'm weirdly more confident in Kentucky than I was before because I, I think by conference play, things will start to click together. This team will be more cohesive and they should start winning games left and right. And I don't think there's a ton to worry about. Now, if this keeps up, they keep losing games like this. Okay. Then, then maybe there's some more questions, but I don't think that's going to be the case. This is definitely a team that's worth keeping your confidence in. 
Yeah, and moving on to the second leg of the Champions Classic, uh, this one, like, this Champions Classic, I think, was the most entertaining Champions Classic we've had in a long time. Not from the aspect of stars and highlight plays, but from the the games being arguably the best and most competitive games yes. we've seen in the Champions Classic for a long time. Normally, we have at least, like, like one 30-point blowout, and the other game may be good. Both these games, obviously the double overtime game was exciting for fans across the country to watch. And then to have Kansas Duke come on right after, and that was kind of back and forth the whole time. Kansas with an upper hand, Duke never letting them really pull away. It, it was really exciting to watch. Was really exciting to watch, Jack. This was a great game of basketball, and I'm I'm really intrigued to see what, what this Duke team can do in, in a couple months once – you know, these freshmen are, are more applicate or acclimated to, to college basketball, and not just the freshmen, but how about that freshman coach Duke, you know, obviously no more coach K first season without coach K. And I mean, how many years, like what, how, when, when did he take over? Um, like, too long ago, 1980, something, 70, something. I don't know. Long time. John Shire. I, I think that's one thing I, I was a little lower on Duke coming into the season than a lot of people, because Listen, it is a first-year coach taking over this kind of program. We don't know what he's going to be like. We don't know how he's going to do. And I didn't love this class. I didn't love what they brought back. I mean, Jeremy Roach is one thing, but the rest of it, I don't know. Um, I do like this team. I, I like this team more than I thought I would. And I, I think that given the way the rest of the ACC looks, at least a certain season, obviously a lot's going to change between now and January. And I think we're going to learn a lot about every ACC team next week and, or two weeks from now, the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Right now, it looks like Duke can absolutely win the ACC. And I don't know if I thought that coming into the season because I don't love what I've seen from Virginia, and I really don't love what I've seen from Carolina. And now, obviously, there's a lot of time to fix that between now and then. I still think Carolina should be the favorite. I think Carolina is the most talented team. I think, obviously, they've got a great coach, and they've done it before in the tournament. But in the regular season, we haven't seen it from Carolina, at least with this current core. So right now, this is a Duke team that I think is absolutely going to be in the race come March and uh, you know, first year coach, a lot of first year players doesn't matter. I, I still think this is a really good team. Yeah. I think going into this from the Duke side of things, there were a lot of fans that were wondering where the heck is Derek Lively? Like he's your guy. He's the recruit. Why is he not playing? And I think we saw why Kyle Flipowski is flipping good. He can, he can totally. shoot, <laughs> he can rebound. Like he looks like they're grooming him to be like a mini Christian Leitner. He's a big guy that has wing dribble moves. He he really impressed me from that side as someone who didn't know a ton about what Duke was going to look like this year. I think that they're going to be pretty good per usual, but yeah, I think you said just, you know, the meshing of everything. And I, me personally, I was more high on Kansas going into this one. And I think they proved why between Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick filling in those roles from guys leaving last year. I'm a huge fan of both of these freshmen because I was not expecting the performances that they put up and they kind of shined on the brightest stage. So that's really inspiring if you're a Kansas fan. It absolutely is. And no Bill Self for Kansas. He's coming back after this next game for them. That'll probably change it a little bit too. I mean, he's only one of the greatest coaches of all time. So having him on the sidelines, I think will make it a little nicer for the Jayhawks, but still able to get the job done there. Really, I'm I'm confident all four of these Champions Classics team jacks. I, I think I think that these four teams really impressed me in different ways, and I don't know if I expected that coming in. I, I had a lot of questions about all four of them, and 
Some of them were answered, some of them weren't, but I definitely think all four of these teams can contend for a Final Four. Maybe Michigan State excluded, but I think Michigan State can contend for a Big Ten title. Yeah, and one note I just want to add before we move on is that Kansas and Kentucky both, one thing that I took away, especially in this Kansas game I saw, and I know that Kentucky does it already, both of those teams in transition are unstoppable and that's something that you're going to see throughout conference play that they push into their game plan. As soon as the ball goes in the hoop, they're going to get out of bounds, put it in, and have the point guard run it up and try and beat the other team in transition after it made basket. And when they do that, they're going to be a hard team to stop because that's how they've been trained to play. And other teams that don't, and specifically, I think Big Ten teams play a little bit slower the style of basketball that's played they run more set offenses it's going to be a problem for other teams that don't play in transition very well and I'm expecting them to be some good teams like I think Gonzaga is going to have a problem with transition on Sunday because they're not a team that likes to push it in transition they like to set their offense and and throw it inside and get plays going and Kansas and Kentucky don't look like the teams that want to play with set offenses they just want to run yeah, and you know there are a lot of these teams in the country. You know that that that's what kind of separates a, a team that can score ten points in the blink of an eye from a team that can't. And for Carolina or not Carolina, excuse me, Kansas, the guys I like to be able to push the ball there. I, I really do like Grady Dick, of course, the the big time freshman, Jalen Wilson, all these guys, Kevin McCuller too. When they get these guys going in transition counterattack, I, I really. It's a soccer term, but I think it applies to basketball too. Um, you know, you get a stop and then kind of get those two-on-ones, fast-break opportunities. That's the way that in the middle of a game you can get on a 10-0 run, something like that, and extend a lead, make the other team call a timeout, get the momentum on your side. Apparently, or especially, excuse me, I'm messing up all my words, especially when you're in front of a home crowd and when Kansas starts playing these home games. They've got a couple of big games at home. Of course, in the non-conference, you're playing Indiana at home. In the Big 12 slate, they've got all these huge games that, in front of Allen Fieldhouse crowds. Really, I, I think you get the crowd going, you get a little bit of momentum, you have these runs where you, you're scoring points to transition in a hurry. That's how you win basketball games. Yeah, and especially in a game where both teams combined, in the Kansas game, both teams combined shot a six for 40 from three point. Yeah. So in a game when the three points not like falling for you, being able to push it in transition and get points on the break is huge. So I think that that was inspiring basketball for both those teams and something that they can look to build on. And moving on now, this felt like an extended Champions Classic game just because of how like excited I was for the matchup to start the year. Gonzaga-Texas was everything we hoped it would be and a little bit more, I think. Yes, what a crowd at the Moody Center, by the way. I think here's a note that every team in the country needs to take from the Moody Center, of course, the new – University of Texas basketball arena, beautiful venue, heard nothing but rave reviews about it. They put the students right behind the court. The student section is packed. It is in the best seats in the house. It is loud. It is crazy. It gets in the head of the other team, behind the basket, behind the bench, you name it. The students are in a perfect place. And I think that gives Texas a really great home court advantage just because of that placement. Yeah, no, I think that that's one thing that a lot of, teams across the country struggle with is that all of them have student sections a little bit farther back so that higher uh-huh. paying fans can kind of, you know, get their money's worth quite literally. Right. 
And unfortunately, I think that they end up doing themselves more harm than good by doing that because the students can make or break these games. And as students right now, we both know totally. how important that home court advantage and getting in the other team's head is. I know we struggle with it. I know you guys absolutely struggle with it. They put you all the way up at the top of Assembly yes. Hall. That's, that's <laughs> arguably that. And Michigan State, too. Michigan State does the same thing. They uh, put them in the second deck and just say, all right, whatever. What good does that do? Huge. There, there's a, a few sections that stretch from the court all the way to the top. And then there's the deck and one tiny little area behind the basket. You're starting on tennis seats there anyway. But there's been a conversation, I think, even before this whole – we saw what happened in the Moody Center and how crazy it was and how great the atmosphere was. Like, a couple of Indiana players, Anthony Leal and Trey Galloway, were tweeting, like, at the university, like, hey, for Carolina, at the very least, put the students in better seats. And from what I've heard, there have been some conversations about potentially putting the students in really nice seats for that game just to get into UNC's head, which I think I think is great for everybody involved. I think ours is a little different because ours is behind the, the visitor backboard to start. We have about like probably 15 rows of standing room only like seats. And then we have reserved seating that's like behind the tunnel of where the team runs out. And there, we're the third largest stadium in the country. And we do ourselves no favors because we fill the stadium up with a bunch of old people who don't, if you know anything about the Rupp Boomers, you know, if you don't look into it, but it, it's a problem that teams continue to have. I think not just our schools, but I think schools right. everywhere. And I really do think, I don't think Texas would have won that game if it was at Gonzaga, like being seriously I honest, I think that's how much the Moody center is going to influence games and big games. If you keep giving them big games, they're going to become a dynasty because of how, how good that home court advantage. At the very least, they're going to dominate in the Big 12. And I, I think that's a team that's, you know, we came into the season saying there's a lot of talent here. They can absolutely win the Big 12. We both picked them to win the Big 12. If they keep playing like this at home, there's not a team in the country that can beat them in front of that crowd. Yeah, absolutely. And and the three-headed snake, too, talking about the game itself, the three-headed snake of Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter, and Dylan Mitchell was uh, – that blew me out of the water with how impressive those three were. I think we knew about how good Marcus Carr was. You know, the Minnesota transfer coming in, getting his feet ready. Now looking at Tyrese Hunter and Dylan Mitchell, these are two guys that they've brought in and built up that, especially Dylan Mitchell, his transition game, he had two huge lobs towards the end of the game that even though he only finished with eight points, those two dunks were exclamation points that kind of shut the whole game down. You knew as soon as those went in, Gonzaga had no chance of making a run. Absolutely, yeah. This is this is a team with I, I would say probably the best the best big three in the country and should they be able to keep the depth up should they be able to keep the pace up should they be able to keep all the stuff the cohesiveness of the team you know you you see a team with this much pure talent on it and by the way Timmy Allen didn't have much of a game and they still won by that much which I think is really impressive for Texas if you see a team with this much pure talent on it usually there's the question of okay but can they play together there's only one basketball right that's the cliche phrase but. They shared the ball well. Everybody kind of got theirs. And uh, and it really looked like a cohesive basketball team. And I think that's the most scary thing for the rest of the country when you look at Texas is they didn't look like a bunch of individual players. They looked like a bunch of really good players playing as one. And I think if they can keep that up, there aren't a ton of teams that can beat them at their best. 
Yeah, I'm I'm curious what you think about Gonzaga in this game because you know they they came into the season with really high expectations. Uh-huh. They almost fumbled one to Michigan State. Now you go to Texas. Now Kentucky's coming to you and Drew Timmy obviously played well, 18 and 9 for him. That's that's going to be expected every time he's on the court. He's got to be the guy that they go to. Nolan Hickman looking to be the guard for that team and step up in that role. He didn't really impress me. He oh. had eight, two, and three with four, uh, four turnovers. So that's not very inspiring basketball for him. In in order for Gonzaga to kind of shake this rut and turn it around, what do they need to do? Especially going into Kentucky and then the PK eighty five right after that. I think Gonzaga needs somebody to be the guy with the basketball in his hands. Somebody to be that dominant on ball guard like they've had the last few years. Whether it's Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nemhard, other guys over the years, they've been able to have really good point guard play and I don't think they have that this year I think if they can find a guy to to be able to control the pace of the game with the ball in his hands be able to score be able to pass be able to defend like all those guys have been able to do at a really high level that that's the piece they're missing to me I think they're missing that and they're also missing I think that high-end talented player that alpha type of guy and Drew Timmy's a good player don't get me wrong but I don't think he moves the needle the same way that Jalen Suggs moved the needle the same way that Chet Holmgren move the needle. These kinds of guys. I think Gonzaga needs someone like that. I don't know who's going to step up. I really don't. Even Andrew Nemhard moved the needle that way for me. So, really, I, I don't know who's going to step up. I think this Gonzaga team is just missing a lot of pieces. And it really, it's it's underwhelmed me so, so far. I came into the season thinking it's Gonzaga. They'll figure it out. So far, what I've seen on the basketball court, though, they've really underwhelmed me, and I have some questions about them going forward. Yeah, and I think especially with that aircraft carrier game, it's kind of too – far for me to start making assumptions I think I think Sunday is probably going to be the best tell for both Kentucky and for Gonzaga what's going to happen with those two teams looking forward um and I, I think like you said moving the needle I think Nolan Hickman needs to be that guy the most alarming thing to me on this in this game for Gonzaga their highest assist leader had two assists between the whole team they had about four guys with two assists no one had more than that. And if you had less than that, you only had one. So that's good teams can move the basketball and get their players open. Gonzaga didn't do that all game. And Texas did. That's it. That's like, that's the end of the story. The lack of offense that they have on that team. I think that they're facing a similar style that Kentucky was trying to go to against Michigan state, where they're just trying to throw the ball inside of their big man and hope and pray that he gets the shot up that goes in. Everyone else is kind of sitting on the perimeter like, I don't know what I should do. So, I, you know, sometimes the ball's not always going to go in, and, and sometimes you're going to have those nights. But if I'm looking through the board and I'm seeing your highest player only has two assists, that's not a good sign. Yes, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I really think that's a big issue for them. I don't even know what else there is to say. Like, if they can't figure that out, I think – not only are they going to struggle for this really tough non-conference slate that they have to play because their conference slate is so weak, but looking into the conference play, I really do think St. Mary's is a good team and can win that West Coast Conference. Yeah, absolutely. I actually I had a debate with my some of my friends this week. Uh, they were saying that Gonzaga going into the season is, you know, on F-word watch. You know, we talked about it last week, you know, maybe putting them on the fraud line. They they came out there and they said that Gonzaga was on the fraud watch team. And, and that's what I said. I said absolutely not. And then this person proceeds to go on and say that Gonzaga is not only on fraud watch, 
but their program history has been fraud. I don't know. And I said, look, <laughs> you, don't, you don't win 18 out of the last 22 conference championships if you're not good. Yes. They have a good yeah. program. They have a good coach. They have a good team. They will figure it out to a certain extent. Are they going to be the team going into March? I think is the question that needs to be answered. And I think we'll know in the next two weeks whether they are going to be the team to beat. This difficult conference schedule, we're going to learn a lot about them. Absolutely. So moving on with that, we talked about a team that was going to be pretty hard to beat in the SEC, and they got beat. And that's the Tennessee Volunteers. They dropped a cupcake to Colorado. And look, Colorado is a good team. We don't want to disrespect them, but I think everyone going into that game thought it was going to be Tennessee by 90. Yeah, and and I don't know how they dropped that one. I mean, Colorado is a team that has struggled so far to open the season. And let's let's look at Colorado's results real quick. Let me, let me pull this up just, just to read it. it. It's kind of absurd. Um, okay, Colorado, okay, they beat UC Riverside, cool. Lost to Grambling State. By nine, they didn't really have a chance in that game. They beat Tennessee by 12 in Nashville in a quote-unquote neutral site game. That was a Tennessee home game, of course. And they lose to UMass yesterday by three. What do you even make of this Colorado team? Because I guess you can write it off as maybe just a blip for Tennessee and a bad, embarrassing loss, and they'll bounce back. But, like, will they? I think this is – no, I think Colorado is the definition of – when you give like when you play up to your opponent's level or when you play down to your opponent's level i don't think that they're good or bad i just think that they're going to mimic how the other team plays so i think that they have a chance to beat some good teams in the pac 12 just by sheer luck like i could see them beating ucla just off of the dumbest game that's ever played just like they beat tennessee here um and tennessee they had KJ Simpson come off the bench and in 29 minutes, he had 23 points. Like, I I don't know if if that's going to happen again for this team, unless you move KJ Simpson to a starting role. But I think that was so unexpected for Tennessee that they didn't really know what to do or how to stop them. But in my opinion, the biggest problem with this Tennessee team was then after the game, Rick Barnes going and basically airing out how frustrated he was with Kai Ziegler to the media. That can't be good for the locker room at all. No. And with Colorado, like, the on-court results, aside from this Tennessee game, like, not great. However, Tad Boyle right now, he's recruiting five stars. He got a five-star in Cody Williams, Colorado's first five-star in five years. Another great recruit in Asane Diop. Like, Colorado's trending in the right direction right now. Tad Boyle's got this program going up. Like, I get those two losses they have aren't great. However... Hey, if they can figure this out, really the recruiting is trending in the right direction. So I could I could totally see it getting better. Yeah, I think from a recruiting aspect too, when you win big games, those tend to overshadow some of the smaller losses. Uh-huh. So getting more wins like this against good teams, like we mentioned, if they can somehow steal a game from a USC or an Arizona or an Oregon or a, a UCLA, I think that's going to benefit them a lot. Um, and then just touching on Tennessee, because I think this is bigger for Tennessee than it is Colorado at this point with how, how big their expectations are going into the SEC conference play. He and James both started over Kai Ziegler. Then the next game in Florida Gulf Coast, Florida Gulf Coast 
in a big win. And with Kai Ziegler supposedly being the guy next to Viscovi, that's not a good look for Tennessee faithful. Absolutely not. No, I'm with you there. So it's going to be really – I'm really – you know, I'm here for the drama, you know, maybe the downfall of Tennessee, one can hope. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. I I think it's hard to take away a lot from this game and from this game we're going to talk about right here, and that's Villanova-Temple. I don't know what happened here because Villanova was a very under-the-radar team coming into this season, and then Temple out of nowhere beats them, and that's a big game for Temple. That's a big rivalry between the two schools, both being, you know, Philly schools. And now Temple wins, and then I'm pretty sure they may have dropped a game right after that. Like, Temple is very intriguing to me, but I'm more concerned about a Jay wright list Villanova and how they're going to adjust there. Yes. What what happened with Villanova? How, how did they end up dropping this one? I don't know. I, I really don't know because in theory, Villanova should beat up on all the big five teams in Philadelphia. Like really, that's just how it's been for a decade. Plus at this point, they should win all these games. And to a certain extent, maybe they were due to lose one of these because to the other four teams in Philadelphia, this is the biggest game of their season. This is their Super Bowl. If they beat Villanova then it's, it's huge. It's massive when they get to play them. So I get that. But at the same time, I think Temple's very good. And and if you're Villanova, this really is going to cause some concern because, you know, losing this game, maybe Kyle Neptune is just not ready for the big time yet. And maybe he will be later in the season. But right now, it feels like this Villanova team just is not what they usually are. And there, there's a lot of questions about them. For me, going into Big East play, like I thought, okay – I'm, I'm going to pick Villanova to win the Big East because nobody believes in them. I, I've got that whole thing going for them. Maybe nobody believes in them for a reason. And, and I just don't – I don't have any good thoughts about Villanova right now. I, I don't think they're a great basketball team, and I think they'll struggle a lot with Michigan State tonight. Yeah, two two key things that I noticed is they're looking for little Archie Diacono to be the guy. Uh, he had 36 minutes and two points. Not good. They all, also shot over twice as many free throws as they did three-pointers. Uh, they shot 16 free throws and seven three-pointers and went two for seven. Neither team shot the ball very well, but that's a very Villanova thing to have a solid, you know, game beyond the arc. And now you're kind of questioning what we're going to do if we don't have a team that can shoot the ball very well. Yeah, no, and that that's an issue because you look at some of these Big East teams right now, I like what I'm seeing from, from a few teams in, the, in this conference. I I know Marquette lost to Purdue. I kind of liked what I saw from Marquette in that game, though, weirdly. Um, and in the in the other teams here in this conference, I think Xavier's got a big game tonight against Indiana. We can see with them, but I, I know some people like them a lot. Um, I, I know Butler is going to be better this year with Thad Mata on the sidelines. Uh, DePaul had a big win against Minnesota. Like, Yeah, DePaul is cooking. Like, what's going that's- on? Yeah. DePaul, that, they're looking is, good. I, I do like DePaul right now. And, and St. John's, I, I think, is, is a good team, too. I think there's Providence some Providence has been looking there. good. Yes. Bryce Hopkins at Providence, Absolutely. he's been looking great. Providence. Yeah. And not to mention right now in the Big East, the, the runaway favorite is Creighton. And I don't think that we've had a season for a while now where it feels like it's somebody but Villanova who, who should be the favorite going into the season. And – I don't know how Villanova is going to react to that because this is a really deep Big East. 
a lot of teams who are at the very least pretty good. I didn't even mention UConn, who I think is a top 25 team right now. There are a lot of teams that are at least good. And right now, a Villanova team that has all these questions and has really struggled to open the season could fall behind very quickly in the Big East. Yeah, there you know, there's a lot of mayhem throughout the country in college basketball right now. It, it was an awesome, great first week to get acclimated going into Feast Week. You know, we, we got a lot more to talk about, so don't leave us yet. But when we come back, we're going to introduce a new segment to the show, get into our starting five, and then look ahead to the board this week. So don't leave us just yet, and we will be right back on On the Bubble. Welcome back to the On the Bubble podcast. We are excited to bring you a very new segment. Uh, in basketball, they have something called the slob, which stands for the sideline out of bounds play. What we're going to do is our version of the slob. So we got a team. It's someone who surprised you, a team that's looking up, a team that you are completely over, and a team that is backwards trending. So we have four teams, two good, two bad. We're just going to get right into it. Patrick, what team surprised you this week? I've got a pair of Big Ten teams here, Jack. I, I really think the two teams that have surprised me so far are Michigan State, who we talked about earlier in this podcast, and Purdue. Purdue has really surprised me. I think we talked about Michigan State enough. I, I can I can say a little bit more if you need me to. But Purdue right now, I love what I've seen right now from freshman point guard Braden Smith, who came in as a three-star recruit, a little unheralded, undersized, out of Westfield High School north of Indianapolis. But this guy has shot the ball exceptionally well. He's been able to create plays. He's been dynamic. He played super well in that game against Marquette. I've been really impressed by him. And, and my question coming into the season for Purdue was obviously not, are they going to be able to defend? Are they going to be able to play in the post? It's Purdue. Of course they can do that. They've got Zach Eady. They've got all these wings. It was, what's the what's the point guard play going to look like? They brought in transfer from Utah. Older guy. But Braden Smith was the guy who, coming into the season, Matt Painter said was going to be the starter. And I had questions about that because, okay, you know, it's one thing if you've got a starting point guard who's a true freshman and it's a five-star in the Big Ten, like Jalen Hood-Shafino at Indiana, Sky Clark at Illinois. But when it's a guy who, who's got some questions and hasn't really played at this level of basketball before in Braden Smith, it's like, okay, what's this going to look like? And he's answered every question and been up to the bell. I've got a feeling that this guy is going to be a problem for four years in the Big Ten. And I've been surprised by Purdue. This kind of felt to me like a little bit of a lost season for Purdue coming in, like, Maybe they make the tournament. Maybe they get an eight, nine seed, something like that. But I think it's a Purdue team that can absolutely get like a six, six seed, five seed in the big in the NCAA tournament, make a little bit of noise in the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten, but I think they're a top 25 level team. This is a good Purdue team and uh, a team that did impress me this week. Big win against Marquette at home. Yeah, Purdue too. That That's a team that, you know, with a deep Big Ten for usual, the Purdue looking a little bit down arguably to start the year and then to come out the way that they have. I mean, they're, they're someone who's absolutely trending in the right direction. For me, you know, watching all the games this week, I had mentioned last week that I think that Houston Oral Roberts is going to be a pretty good, you know, non-conference game. Houston blew them out of the water. I have Houston as my team that surprised me. And they've been rolling through this schedule so far. Again, they haven't played a lot of impressive teams. But I thought Max Eighth Smith and the the rest of that Oral Roberts team could give Houston some trouble. Kelvin Sampson and the, and the rest of the group, they killed it. And, and they've been looking mm -hmm. great throughout their non-conference schedule so far. I'm interested to see if they can continue this momentum going into the rest of the season. But Houston, to me, is someone that I knew was going to be good. 
but they look another level right now. And Marcus Sasser looks unstoppable. Houston's the best team in the country right now. And I've got a feeling that this is a team that could potentially run the table as the number one team wire to wire. Maybe not, they're not number one right now, but they're my number one. And I think in, in my book, they could be a wire to wire number one. Like the, just looking at how the American shakes out, how their, how their non-conference schedule shakes out right now for Houston. I don't think there are a ton of opportunities for them to lose games in the non-conference because I look at it like, okay, they've got Oregon coming up. Oregon already lost a game. I don't think they're all that great. St. Mary's, I think that's one worth circling. But, again, I don't know if St. Mary's is good enough to beat this Houston team. Alabama, big one. Virginia, big one. But, again, those teams are good, but I don't think they're good enough to beat this really talented Houston team. Then you get into American play. Like, I could see them dropping a couple games in there. But I think this really is the most likely candidate we have in the country right now for a 30-win team. This team is absolutely every bit as good as advertised. They're going to run teams up and down the floor, and that's exactly what they've done so far. Yeah, and like you said, their their non-conference play kind of allows them to continue playing at this level. And then once you get into conference play, the American this year is not as deep as it was. With like The talent gap between Houston and the rest of the conference is greater than it's ever been. So I, I'm really excited to see how this team continues to progress. You know, we talked about it last week. We both have them winning the American pretty handily. So yeah. this non-conference schedule, if they're able to roll through it, they very well could be undefeated going into conference play or going into conference play and then winning the conference and rolling through that tournament going into March. So Absolutely. there's a serious possibility that Houston's here to make some noise. They're, they're looking phenomenal through the first few games. I knew they were going to be good. I didn't know that they would be this good. So that's, that's my team or our teams that surprised us both Houston and Purdue and now looking up, you know, there are a lot of teams that were trending in the right direction this week. Patrick, I'll, I'll let you start it off with this one. But um, I, I think we have two Big 12 teams here this week. Yeah, another team we talked about already, but Texas is really looking up. I know we had some questions about how is this team going to mesh together? How is this talent going to play together? Who's going to share the basketball? What's that going to look like? They answered every question with an emphatic, it's going to work just fine. It's going to be great. The talent's going to win out in the end. The coaching's going to win out in the end. Chris Beard's obviously a great X's and O's coach. Texas answered every question for me. And right now, looking at the teams who, who I think, right now I feel the most confident in, in the way that they've looked on the court, not judging my preseason expectations, but just purely who has looked the best on the basketball court to start the season, who has impressed me the most in the way that they have played the game. It's Houston and Texas. It's a pair of Texan schools separated by just a couple hours there. Really, I, I think that these two teams have a potential to meet in, in like an NCAA tournament classic, potentially in the city of Houston at NRG Stadium in the Final Four. Could you imagine how crazy that would be? But Texas right now has answered every question I could have possibly had for them, done it in emphatic fashion against the Gonzaga team that, albeit, isn't quite the Gonzaga of years past, but it's still Gonzaga. It's still a Mark Few team. And being able to just pick them apart the way they did so clinically, so perfectly, so flawlessly. Really, I, I couldn't have asked for much more. Texas is looking up big time right now for me. Yeah, I think across the board, I've seen a lot of analysts starting to put them as their number one power ranked team and their number one team in the country. Yeah, I think it's very real that I think that Texas on this next poll will probably be a top two team in the country. I think it's going to be I'm interested to see. I don't know if they're at that level yet. That was obviously a very impressive win. I think we talked about how big the Moody Center is going to be in terms of home court advantage, and that's going to play a big role into it. But 
for a first big game in the Moody Center, they didn't disappoint. And they're absolutely looking in the right direction. Um, my team on the other side of the Big 12 is the Kansas Jayhawks. I, I think we knew that they were going to be good, kind of similar to Texas going into that game. But Kansas really – I think that they're trending in the perfect direction. Their freshmen are playing well. Their bigs are playing well. You know, and, and a Bill Selfless squad rolling into the Champions Classic and playing as well as they did. I think that that's super inspiring for, you know, Jayhawk Nation. And I, I think that they have a lot of room to build on. Their non-conference schedule is going to be really tough. And I think the Big 12 is as good as it's ever been going into this year. So I'm interested to see if they can keep the momentum going. But I think Kansas had one of the best weeks that they could have hoped for with the Champions Classic. Yeah, exactly. Everything you could hope for for Kansas. The freshmen look good. The older guys look good. The transfers look good. Everything's clicking. I don't know if this is as good as the Kansas team we saw last year, but I don't know if it has to be as good because, you know, you got that championship last year. You kind of shook that out. You, you got what you needed. Now it, you can kind of play a little bit more free this year. You don't have to worry about the, the pressure of going and getting that national championship that they've been missing for a while now. They got it done. They finally did that. I, th I think seeing a new lease on life for Kansas, like a, a looser playing Kansas team is going to be interesting. And I, I'm curious to see what it looks like with Bill Self back on the sidelines. But yeah, they're definitely looking up. There were some questions coming into the season. For the most part, I think they've answered them. I'm excited to see what we can see from the Jayhawks this year. Yeah, Jayhawks definitely trending in the right direction, as are the Texas Longhorns. Two teams, uh, you know, that we're not buying into so far this year. I'll start it off just because we talked about them last week. It's the TCU Horn Frogs. Yes. I think this expectation of everyone returning, you know, this their whole squad's coming back. You know, they got a good coach. They're getting better. We talked about it last week that there's still time to kind of salvage this. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. But they drop another game this week. Um, and uh, me, personally, I'm putting them on fraud. Not fraud watch. They're, they are fraud. They're just toast. Like, they are toast. Yeah, yeah. no. They, they can't. <laughs> so, yeah. they've, they've done enough. They, they've, I've written them off in my books. They're not good. They're not a good team. And I, we talked about them last week, so I'll save the full analysis of it. But TCU, you you can't, you know, you can't be going into Big 12 play looking like you're looking right now. And they're a team that I'm probably going to have written off for a majority of the season just because of their poor performance so far this year. Yes, I, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I am absolutely done with them, too. I, I don't think there's a question about it right now. Like, good teams just don't have the results that they've had through – three games or whatever like that that just doesn't happen you you can't let that happen they're not good I'm with you I am totally out on this TCU team I'll give you my team that I'm out on too USC Trojans right now of course they lost to Florida Gulf Coast open the season by 13 points in the Andy Enfield Bowl they followed that up with a dominant win against Alabama State okay whatever and then they squeak out a two-point win over the Vermont Catamounts and listen Vermont's a solid enough program but like you can't be beating Vermont by two at home. You just can't be letting that happen. And by the way, let's let's follow up with Florida Gulf Coast. What have they done since they beat USC by double digits on the road? Well, they immediately followed that up with a six-point loss to University of San Diego. Then they beat Ave Maria, who I think is maybe an NAIA team, Division II team. They're definitely not Division I. Um, and then they lost by, by 31 to Tennessee. So 
they lost to a lower level D1 team. Uh, they beat a team that isn't Division One, and they got boat raced by a Tennessee team that had already struggled with a different Pac-12 school in Colorado. So, really, I'm I'm out on USC. Like these results, they just can't be adding up. You can't be squeaking them out against Vermont. You can't be, you know, losing to a Florida Gulf Coast team that I thought might be okay. Kind of looks like they're not very good in uh in convincing fashion the way they did and for me to expect them to be a tournament team let alone a team that can contend in a pack 12 that even i think is weak but still i don't think they're gonna be able to contend in this conference yeah they're not they're they're absolutely not looking great so far to start the year and and you mentioned you know florida gulf coast they you know had a big win against them then they turn around and they drop you know a game that they shouldn't have followed by a very small win followed by a loss to a Tennessee team that they probably should have kept it closer against. So USC, I think the loss of the Mobley brothers this year, the having that first readjustment here without them, it's going to be tough and it's going to be a huge adjustment. I think it's something that they still haven't found out a way to play without having that dominant big guy in there. And it's going to hurt them. And I'm not quite over them yet. I think that they're definitely backwards trending, but I, I'm not quite over them, but I totally understand why you're over them. And they're, they're going to be fighting to make the tournament this year. I think they are too. I think they're absolutely going to be in that mix of like an 18, 19, one team. Yeah. So finally we have the backwards trending team and I, you know, you kind of have, you know, two that you're looking to this week. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you start off. Yeah, North Carolina right now is backwards trending for me. And I did have some questions coming to the season about them. Really just about, okay, we saw them do it in the NCAA tournament, but can they do it for a full regular season campaign? And so far the answer has been Carolina is unconvincing. I am not convinced by Carolina as the number one team in the country at all. And right now I, I think the talent's there. I think I think they just have to get it together and they have to be able to, to remind themselves nothing is a given. Carolina to me, and I think I might have said this last week, but they feel like they're they're playing they're playing like a team that read every single headline over the offseason about Carolina's number one, Carolina's championship favorite, Carolina has to win the championship of the year, it's fate, it's destiny, it's their year. And they agreed with it. They said, okay, yeah, that's gonna happen. And they didn't feel like they had to prove it. They're not playing convincing basketball. They're not they're, they're asleep at the wheel. They've been asleep at the wheel every single game this season. And listen, I, I don't think they have a, a challenging game ahead of them right now in the PK-85 against Iowa State, and I'm not sure what their second game is going to be in that. I don't know how the bracket shakes out exactly, but they should be able to handle a kind of whatever Iowa State team. They're going to go into Bloomington on November 30th against Indiana, and that's going to be the time when we see, all right, is Carolina able to turn it on and in a tough environment against a good team be able to play good basketball? Or are they just going to be asleep at the wheel and are they going to get dominated? Because I think if that happens, then Carolina is going to need to find a wake-up call in the next game when they have to go on the road to Virginia Tech. A pair of tough road games back-to-back potentially could be disastrous for Carolina. They're going to have to wake up soon or else they could be in trouble to start the season. Yeah, and the for the PK tournament, I think that they will play either Iowa State or Villanova and then the four other teams below oh, no. them on their yeah, side of the bracket. Yeah, no, exactly. And Villanova's been struggling too. So, and then on the other side, it's UConn, Oregon, Alabama, and Michigan State. So, okay. So, North Carolina could be in for a handful there um, in the Phil Knight Classic. But uh, just, you know, getting getting back to them, I, I have them as my backwards trending 
team of the week as well. Like you said, just not convincing wins at all. And this is how Carolina tends to start the year. Most years is it's a very shaky non-conference for them. And then they tend to get their footing going into March through conference play, things of that nature. And so I'm going to go another direction. So we don't talk about the same team. I'm going to go with Gonzaga. I, I know that they're, they're a good team and they've played two really tough teams, both, neither of them at home, but Gonzaga dropping that game to Texas by as many points as they did and then keeping it as close as they did with Michigan State. I know that they've played tough teams, but now you have Kentucky at home basically in Spokane, and then they also are in the Phil Knight tournament. So I don't know what's going to happen with Gonzaga, but they could very easily start this year off going into conference play only one or two games above 500 which for a Gonzaga team that's had a lot of success in the past, and now they're starting to venture out in these non-conference games and play really good opponents, this could really hurt them from a recruiting aspect and from just a normal, you know, as a normal team. I think this is a different Gonzaga team than we've seen in the past. And I'm not, you know, I'm not impressed with Gonzaga through the first few games. That's the tough part for Gonzaga, the way they schedule their the way the way their schedule plays out, they cannot afford to have slow starts. And you know, when you're a team like North Carolina, you can afford to have a slow start to your season because you're gonna have opportunities in ACC play to right the ship. You're gonna have opportunities to get these quad one wins, these top 10 wins, these big road wins, these these wins that make you impressive to the NCAA tournament selection committee and get you a nice seed. Gonzaga doesn't have that luxury. That's why they have to schedule these really tough out-of-conference schedules. But that also doesn't give you the luxury of being able to start slow, being able to get your guys acclimated to play. They have to be fire on all cylinders to start the season or else they dig themselves a huge hole. And I think they're going to dig themselves a hole this year. If there was ever a year where it's going to happen, this is it. So I think there's real concern for Gonzaga that they're not going to have the resume they want going into the NCAA tournament. They should be able to win their conference tournament more than likely, right? I mean, let's be honest. They've done it how many times over the last two decades? Too many to count. But really – should that not happen, there could be some questions about them. They'd probably still be a tournament team. But, you know, even if they win their conference, there might be some questions about what seed are, are they going to end up with because this non-conference slate for them is tough and they could end up with a bad record coming out of it. Yeah, like you said, 18 for the last 22 since the turn Absurd. of the millennium, um, <laughs> it, it, which is just crazy numbers. Um, they play Portland State going into the PK-85 in the first round. They'll play the winner or loser of West Virginia, Purdue, and then Florida Xavier and Duke, Oregon State are on the other side of that bracket. So there's a lot of potential to play some good teams. I think Purdue could 100% give them for a run for their money. I, I think that they could definitely make some noise there. So I think it's going to be interesting to to see how that all shakes out. But, um, you know, that was that was slob. We'll, we'll be doing this pretty much every week. So that was the first little introduction of what it'll look like. And now I think it's time for everyone's favorite segment. Uh, it's starting five. And this week, you know, it is feast week in college basketball, and it's turkey time. And what better way to go into Thanksgiving than to discuss, you know, everyone has the turkey maybe, but right. the sides are what makes Thanksgiving. So, Patrick, this week our starting five is your starting five of Thanksgiving sides, not the turkey but everything else around the turkey that you throw on that plate, I want to hear your starting five Thanksgiving sides. The turkey's a given, Jack, and we talked about that, but I think this is the difference makers here. 
in what what can separate a good Thanksgiving from a great Thanksgiving. And, you know, you talk about almost the givens of Thanksgiving are you're going to have your turkey, you're going to have your family, you're going to have football on TV. This year, you're going to have the World Cup on TV. You're going to have college basketball on TV. You know, you're going to have you're going to have a good time. You're going to have everybody you want to be around around you. But the difference maker to take a Thanksgiving from good to great is the sides. It absolutely can change the whole complexion of a Thanksgiving dinner. And for me, the top five sides of Thanksgiving are this. You got stuffing number one. I don't think it's a question. It's the only time of year you really get this food. You got to savor it. You take it. You take it when you can. Love some stuffing. It's a specialty of Thanksgiving. Next up, number two, I've got mashed potatoes. And you got to throw some gravy on top of that too. And here's why I think it's so important because with my number three side, rolls, you mix that together with mashed potatoes, gravy, turkey, and rolls. It's kind of like the Texas of Thanksgiving food. It's a big three that works really well together because whether it's Thanksgiving day or even the day after, you split that roll in half, you get a little bit of mashed potatoes and gravy on there, you throw some turkey on it, you've got yourself a leftover sandwich. And that might be the best part of Thanksgiving, all things told. Next up, I've got mac and cheese. I know this is a divisive one. Some people say, is that a side? Is it not a side? I think it is. I think it adds a nice little, you know, you got a bit of cheese in there. It's it's not something you get in the rest of the meal. You got some dairy. It, it, it switches it up. If somebody can make a nice, really, a really nice baked mac and cheese, I think that's a game changer. I think it's a big X factor. Obviously, you know, some mac and cheeses are better than others. Not all are created equal. A bad mac and cheese, probably not even worth a spot on the plate, but a good mac and cheese. I think can be a difference maker. And then fifth I've got on here, I've got green beans because, you know, you got to have a vegetable in there. You got to get your nutrients. You got to get your vitamins, whatever it will be. Uh, And I think green beans are a great way to get that done. Especially I I know I've got some relatives who will make uh, green beans with honey bacon on there. Um, You know, give it a nice little flavor palette. Uh, Those are some of my favorites, but uh, green beans, I think just generally are a really good vegetable and, uh, one that you only get really at, at special occasions and holidays. I don't think you really have green beans on a week-to-week basis, but maybe we should look into changing that. Maybe green beans are underrated. So green beans are on the list for me. Uh, that's my starting five, Jack. What do you got? Yeah, I got a lot of similar ones to you this week. Pretty much everything's the same. I got stuffing, sweet potatoes, green beans, uh, mashed potatoes. And before I say anything else, the sweet potatoes, they have to have the marshmallows on top. That is an essential to the sweet potatoes. You know, when you make your yams, or whatever you got to throw the marshmallows on top it gives it a little bit of a sweeter taste with marshmallows melt right over the top of the potatoes it is amazing anyone that doesn't do that it, i like the concept yeah, anyone that doesn't do it highly highly suggest it i think it's a pretty normal thing but yeah when you, when you throw them in the oven, just don't know it but that's fascinating it's, i like the idea yeah yeah definitely look into it if you do the sweet potatoes or yams you've got to put the marshmallows on the top you throw them in the oven, you bring them out. They're, you know, they're the perfect color. You, you look like you could throw them on a s'more. It gives that sweet potato and the sweet taste of the marshmallows that comes together. It is wonderful. Um, and I have uh, crescent rolls as five. Um, so I don't have mac and cheese on this list. And I am a person that firmly sticks to the belief that mac and, mac and cheese is not a Thanksgiving side. You can have mac and cheese a lot of times throughout the years, as you can with some of these other ones. But I'm a I'm a person who, you know, my family personally, we've never had the mac and cheese out on the 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 counter of sides that you can pick from. 
and, and it's not something that I don't think I'll do later in my life. So mac and cheese at Thanksgiving, I just I don't know if I could do it. And I love mac and cheese. I'm a mac and cheese guy. But right. Mac and cheese at Thanksgiving, I don't know if it really That's goes right. together with everything else. And I get that. I, I think it it depends on the type of mac and cheese you're talking. Like if it's if it's a bad mac and cheese, if it's like, a, you know, craft blue blocks or something, it's like, all right, that's fine. You know, when, when you throw that in the microwave and you, you got to eat something like, you know, you get an easy Mac or whatever, but like at Thanksgiving, it doesn't belong. But if you get somebody to make like a really, really nice, like oven made mac and cheese, like a really high quality one, I think it's got a spot on that plate because, you know, you talk about just the high quality, the food's got to step its game up under the bright lights of Thanksgiving. But when the mac and cheese, it's got it's got to be good. It's got to be playing its best ball at that time of year. It's got to be peaking on the final Thursday of November. If the mac and cheese isn't peaking on that final Thursday of November, then it's going to be out of its element. It's going to look lost. It's going to be in trouble. But if the mac and cheese is really good, then I think it can't be the star of the show, but it can absolutely contribute to a winning plate. And see, that's where that's where I disagree with it because when obviously like you when you bring the mac and cheese at Thanksgiving dinner, it's got to be the gourmet mac and cheese. It, you know, it can't be like easy Mac. It's got to be like, whether someone like the store puts together, like their signature mac and cheese oh, like Costco or mac someone makes, yeah. Or yeah. someone makes it and brings it like homemade. It, I think it conflicts one. I think the mac and cheese everyone looks to is, you know, half their plates, Turkey and half their plate is mac and cheese. That's not a Thanksgiving plate either. And you have the potatoes, you have, you know, your, your vegetables and everything. And with the amount of Turkey that you might be putting on your plate, I think it takes up too much room in your stomach and it, it can kind of overcrowd the plate and, and it throws off, you know, it's a different taste and everything. I think that it's just not a, like mac and cheese is a meal. And when you throw it with all of these delicacies of Thanksgiving, I think that it can be debated that it's not a true Thanksgiving side. And again, not I'm a mac and cheese. Not guy, a traditional choice. But, I think that's fair. Yeah. So I, I think that it's uh I think it's an ongoing debate and we'll never have the right answer. You obviously you're a mac and cheese and Thanksgiving guy. I'm not. Let us know in the comments or or on Twitter. Please let us know. What, yeah. Yeah, what you think of if it does mac and cheese belong at dinner uh, on okay. Thanksgiving. But before we move on let, from this, I'm curious. The Thanksgiving leftover sandwich, how do you feel about that? And if you are a fan, what do you put on it? So we always will host Thanksgiving for our oh. family. So I, I, I've i grown up dealing with the, um, with, with the leftovers and everything like that. I am not a leftover sandwich person okay. uh, because we do. So we do the crescent rolls. So, you know, they're not big enough. They're not like the red lobster rolls where you right, can kind you of put together work. a sandwich. Yeah. And, you yeah, know, we're not going to go out of it. It's too much work to get, you know, bread and then make a sandwich out of that anyway. And then you got to deal with making the whole thing. And so we've always just had leftovers and leftovers are fine for like two or three days. But then after like day three, when you still have leftovers, it's like, can we do anything else besides turkey <laughs> and potatoes and right. whatever? So, and then, you know, towards the end of it, you start running out of stuff. Maybe the piece of meat you get is bad or, you know, there, there's a lot of intangibles. So I've never been a leftover sandwich. That's definitely something that I would consider trying. Um, now that I'm away at school, I, I probably won't have to deal with as many Thanksgiving leftovers as much, but mm -hmm. um, definitely, definitely would 
would be willing to give it a try, but not something I've tried before. So I can't, I can't have a take on it. I'm a fan. I, I really am. I, I think, you know, you have the type of role that you can split in half, like a more rounded type of role. You cut that thing in half, throw a little bit of turkey on there. You throw the mashed potatoes and a little bit of gravy on there, put it in the microwave for a minute, and you throw whatever whatever the Black Friday sporting event is on TV, whether that's the Iowa-Nebraska football game or a little bit of college basketball. I feel like there's always like some American athletic football game that's usually pretty good. Like this year, Tulane plays Cincinnati. Um, and also this year, World Cup on that Friday, United States and England, the Battle of 1776, the Revolutionary War of Soccer. So um, speaking of that, I think Black Friday is an underrated holiday because, you know, you get it off. Everybody likes to relax. You don't have to, you know, Thanksgiving's great to spend time with family. Black Friday is great to unwind. There's always great sports on. But, yeah, the, the leftover sandwich is a staple of that holiday for me. I am a big fan. Now let me ask you, do you put gravy on the leftover sandwich? Definitely gravy. I think it goes well with the mashed potatoes. Um, and it's definitely the, the kind of thing you can't eat every day. It definitely belongs on, like, that, that stretch from Thanksgiving until about maybe the Sunday after Thanksgiving, until December 1st-ish. I don't think you can eat a leftover sandwich and I think it would just feel out of its element. You got to eat it in that zone, putting mashed potatoes on a sandwich any other time of year, probably absurd, probably a bad take, probably not right. But you throw mashed potatoes and gravy on there with it. Um, you're getting a little taste of Thanksgiving afterwards, everything all together. I think it's worth it. I think it's a good time. I, I would be interested to see, cause I know a lot of people in the South, you know, in I go to school in Kentucky and then right. obviously further South are big cornbread people. I would be really like interested to see the leftover sandwich with some cornbread. I, I would be interested I to see be, how that would play. That could be good. That could be good. Now, I think I cool think it might play if you're a cornbread person. I love like, cornbread. I, okay. Definitely a fan. But I, I think the cornbread could crumble a little too much in a sandwich. That's why I would be interested to see how it would hold up. Because, you know, that's a lot. Between the potato, I would I would be interested keep it to together. see how it all. Yeah. No, it's exactly. Like a I would, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. I I think it would be interested to see if if you could make a if you could make a leftover sandwich and just have all the different types of rolls and bread as as your you know your two pieces. I would be interested to see which one would end up the best. Yeah, I think that could definitely be good. Like I I think that's absolutely worth a shot. So again, starting five. Let us know what your top five Thanksgiving sides are below. Let us know if you think mac and cheese is one. Thoughts on the leftover sandwich, anything, ideas for future starting fives, whatever. Let us know. Tweet at us on the bubble SMP. Um, you know, just just let us know what what you guys think about, you know, your your leftovers and and what you guys look forward to at Thanksgiving in terms of the meals there. So um, great stuff. Moving on to, you know, our our look ahead to this week. There's a lot of great games. It's obviously feast week. And, you know, there's two great games going on tonight. Indiana at Xavier and Illinois at UCLA. I'll, oh, I'll let you Virginia and Baylor in there, too. Yeah, Virginia and Baylor as well. The had, by the way, awesome so Friday night slates in college basketball so far. And I'm hoping that's a trend that keeps up this season because traditionally, you know, Friday can sometimes be a lost day in the college basketball calendar. Looking really good so far, though. I like it. Absolutely. So I'll let you, I'll let you start with Indiana Xavier, give your thoughts there, and then we'll move on to the continental tired classic. This is a huge one for the Hoosiers. Now they haven't won a ranked road game in God knows how long it's been a very long time. The last 
true non-conference road win for Indiana. Well, this isn't a ranked team, but I think that the stat was they haven't beaten a Ken Palm top 40 team on the road since 2002 in non-conference, that is. And conference played them plenty of times. And also in non-conference, Indiana's lost its last 10 true road games dating back to 2011. They beat North Carolina State on the road right before uh, they beat Kentucky at home in the Christian Watford game. So this is a huge game for Indiana. I think this is going to tell us a lot about this team if they're different from some of the teams of years past, even good IU teams of years past, you know, whether it's 2013, 2016, whatever, that have been able to even go on the road. It's been a rarity. They haven't played a ton of true road games in conference and non-conference play. So uh, I'm interested to see how they, they respond tonight. This is going to teach us a lot about this IU team. I, I think we're going to learn if they're legit or not. And, and for them to be undefeated going into North Carolina, you know, pr- presumably undefeated because they would have Miami, Ohio Sunday and a couple of easier teams the week after in Assembly Hall. The, the Miami, Ohio game, by the way, at Gainbridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, I'll be at that. So, um, you know, uh, presumably if Indiana wins this, they should be, if all goes according to plan, knock on wood, undefeated going into North Carolina. You never know with Indiana basketball, though. So really for Indiana, I I think it's going to be interesting to see how they respond in a really tough environment. I know this is Xavier's biggest home game of the season. Ticket prices were absolutely absurd through the roof. Uh, There's a lot of hype around this for Xavier fans. And I think for Xavier, they've really got to hope Colby Jones plays. He didn't play in their last game against Fairfield. Uh, He didn't practice yesterday. He, He was in a boot dealing with a sprained ankle. He is questionable going into this game. And if he is either not at 100% or not playing, then I think that's going to make it a lot easier for Indiana to win this game. And if he's not, I, I think this is going to be a close game for IU. So, or if he's out there, it, it'll be a close game for IU. So that's the game changer for Xavier. We don't know if he's going to be playing or not. I don't know if he will or won't. I think it could truly go either way. And even if he is playing, he could be hobbled a little bit. So I think that's a difference maker. I've got IU winning this one. I think they win it probably by about five, six points. I think it's tight, but. Hey, a tough win against a good Big East team on the road. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it, I mean, I think that the Centos player or center in Cincinnati is a hard place to play already. Yes. And like you said, this is kind of their their staple non-conference game at home. Ticket prices are super high. I think it's going to be a tough environment for Indiana. I think it's going to be closer than what experts may be predicting it to be. But I think Indiana will probably get the job done. Mm. and and move on toward the rest of their non-conference schedule before, you know, getting to North Carolina in a few weeks. So this is that's a huge, huge game. This is Indiana's right. first test. They have a number of tests in this non-conference. This is a really tough non-conference slate. Looking at it, at Xavier's tough. Carolina at home, tough, even though there's, you know, Carolina struggled. At Kansas and Arizona and Las Vegas, we're going to learn a lot about IU in this non-conference play. And if they can come out of that, four game stretch at three and one, then I think this is not just a team that can win the big 10, but a team that could potentially go to the final four. Yeah. And and speaking of Vegas, then we have the continental tire classic going on tonight. First game, Illinois, UCLA. I think this is going to be a shootout. I I really do. I'm I'm pretty excited to see how, because both of these teams, it's going to be a test for UCLA, not really seeing a team like Illinois before. Illinois, they, they're kind of new on the block. They want to prove their worth. Got a not, lot of new guys on the roster, and this is going to be a good test to see how these two kind of battle against each other. And and I have no idea who's going to come out on top. I have no idea. I'm, I'm with you there, and I think for Illinois, there's a lot of questions about how this team's going to be able to gel with so many moving parts, so many new pieces. They're going to have to figure it out quick because this is a UCLA team that brings back a lot of really talented players. Of course, Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hawkins, chief among them. So – I'm taking UCLA here just because of 
being the known quantity. But I think Illinois can win this game, and I think Illinois makes it competitive. I think it's high scoring. I think it's fun. I think it's a shootout just like you do. I've got UCLA by three, though. I think this is going to be a really fun basketball game. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it, too. And then I think immediately following that, we have Baylor and Virginia, which I think Baylor is probably going to get the job done here tonight. I, I, I like what I've been seeing out of them. They've been a force through their first few games, but Virginia is really their first test as well. Um, tell me what you're thinking about that one. Yeah, this is this is it for for both of these teams. This is the first real big game for for either of them. And and I think right now, I like what I've seen from Baylor a lot more than what I've seen from Virginia. Really, I think there's an argument to be made that in terms of on court play, the three best teams in the country so far are all in the state of Texas: Texas, Houston, and Baylor. I like Baylor in this one. Uh, I like Baylor by I'll, I'll say six or seven points. But hey, Virginia can absolutely make it a game. And with Virginia, you know, two teams have won national championships in the last few years. If they can control the pace of play, if they can keep for Baylor at a low score, if they can keep this game in the 60s late into the second half, and I think Virginia's going to have a real shot to win this one. And keep your eye out if Illinois upsets UCLA and, and Baylor ends up winning. That's a Matthew Mayer revenge game. So revenge of the mullet uh, could be coming our way later this week. So that would definitely be an exciting matchup. Um, and, and I'm excited all, all four of those games because then the winners will play the losers of those two games. So or winners will play the winners and losers will play the losers. So it'll be exciting. It'll, it'll be a nice little four game shootout. We, we get to see a lot of great basketball. So definitely excited for that one. Uh, next game we already kind of talked about, so we'll keep it brief. But UK at Gonzaga uh, in Spokane at Spokane Arena, not at the kennel. Um, two, it's a big game for both these teams. Uh, and, and we've already kind of talked about the stakes there. And I think this one's probably a coin toss too. Yeah, I think this one is as well. Um, the home court advantage for Gonzaga leads me to believe that they'll probably pull it out, but I think Kentucky's every bit a better team than Gonzaga. And I don't know who to pick here. The, the home court travel, that's tough. But it's not a true home court game, which leads me to believe that BBN travels wherever. You could play a game on the moon and there would be a lot of blue in the crowd, assuming, you know, it's not a bunch of tickets owned by season ticket holders of the other team. The moon men, the Martians, whoever, it would be on the moon. But listen, there are going to be a lot of tickets open to sale to Kentucky fans in this game, whether it's the West Coast fans or even fans in the state of Kentucky and across the country who want to travel. They will show up because they show up everywhere. So I don't know how much of a home court advantage it's going to be because I think Kentucky fans are going to be there too. It's not going to be as tough as it would have been on Gonzaga's campus. And I think that plays well to Kentucky, although it still is a tough place to play. There will be more Gonzaga fans by a lot. And, you know, you have to fly across the country to make it happen. Gonzaga has to stop on a bus. So when I look at that, I, I don't know what, what to think, but I do know Kentucky's a better basketball team than Gonzaga. I do know Kentucky's a better, a more talented basketball team than Gonzaga. And Kentucky right now is playing better basketball than Gonzaga. You know, they both lost their last game, but Kentucky did it in a better fashion against uh, a good Michigan State team. And Gonzaga looked out of their element against a really good Texas team. So I could go either way, but I'm going to take Kentucky here by two. Yeah, I, I don't know really who to pick just because even though they're playing in the Spokane arena and not the kennel, if you look at like the distance between campus and the Spokane arena, it's less than a 10 minute drive. It's literally yeah. right off campus. So 
they're not going far at all. And I think that, you know, with the limited availability already, I think that there's going to be a lot of Gonzaga fans there. I know BBN travels, but I don't know if you're going to be able to, you know, travel as much for this. You know, Gonzaga really doesn't like Kentucky, and I think that it's going to be close, but I think Gonzaga will probably pull this one out. Um, and it, I'm really interested to see how it plays out. I think either team has a chance. I think Kentucky is a better team than Gonzaga, but I think Gonzaga coming off that loss to Texas and being technically the home team, they're going to get it done. They'll figure it out. And Kentucky is probably heading into next week looking, you know, as a two loss team trying to figure out what to do from here. So I'm interested to see the fact that one of these teams is going to be a two loss team this early in the season. Crazy. It's crazy, but that's what makes college basketball special. Um, and finally, we'll we'll end it off. It is feast week, so we got to take a look at the Maui Invitational. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably the best week of college basketball that we get all year. The Maui, it's awesome. Everyone's looking forward to it. And this is one of the most stacked Maui fields we've had in a really long time. Absolutely a stacked Maui Invitational. A lot of really good teams. I, I think it's just about all good teams and Louisville in this one, I, I think Louisville is going to come out of this winless, but looking at it right now, I'll tell you my pick right now for the Maui Invitational final. I've got the Arizona Wildcats defeating the Creighton Blue Jays. And I think it could be a classic, the Maui bump. It's a thing. I think Arizona comes out of this riding high off of the Maui bump. I've got the Wildcats winning this tournament, but it, I think yeah, I, a number of ways that whole bottom half of the bracket, is going to be really competitive. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, Arizona, Arkansas, Cincinnati, Creighton, Texas Tech, San Diego State, Ohio State, and then Louisville at the very far bottom. Uh, there's a lot of good matchups, and, and I think that it could be a little bit of a coin flip for some of these games. I think Ohio State, San Diego State first round is going to be a shootout. I have Creighton against San Diego State in the championship with Creighton being the winner. The only blue team, may I add, uh, in this whole tournament, every team is red oh. except for Creighton. Creighton all blue. I think they'll. I think they'll stand out. They'll be the champions amongst red. I like um, you I'm definitely. I'm definitely excited to see a lot of these matchups. There's a lot of good teams looking to make some noise, and I think Louisville is going to come into this Maui a little bit pissed off with how they've been playing. I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up a win here. So, you know, they might not win. Oh, every do game, they ever need it? I think that. I think that they'll pick up at least one, and it'll be a surprise. So. And I think a lot of teams are ruling out Arkansas. Arkansas against Creighton potentially will be an awesome game. So that because they have Louisville in the first round and then they'll play the winner of uh, Creighton, Texas Tech. So Arkansas against Creighton could be an awesome matchup this early in the season that I would be really excited to watch. Yeah, that's going to be an awesome game. Really exciting for this Maui field. Finally, back on the islands, too. I know there was a tournament in North- Asheville, North Carolina. I know there was one in Vegas, but finally it's back in Maui for the first time since 2019. And boy, it's going to feel good to be watching basketball in the Lahaina Civic Center during Feast Week. Doesn't get better than that. I've missed it. Big wave Billy, Bill Walton on the call. It doesn't get better than Maui, man. I I love the Maui Invitational. It's easily one of my favorite events of the entire year. And and it really is. the, The Maui bump is real. When you come out of Maui playing well, you play well to start your whole season. It can really set the tone. I love Maui. I, I think it's going to be great. There's nothing like the Lahaina Civic Center. I, I can't wait for this. It's going to be so much fun. Good to be back. I'm looking forward to seeing the soft rims of Lahaina Civic, Civic Center. Not like, we've missed the them country. so much. Like, they're, the oh. rims have been too hard the past few years. I know. Back. It's just not the, the softest rims in college basketball. 
I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. Good to be back. So, finally, last thing we'll we'll touch on is you know, we already talked about it a little bit, but the PK85 schedules have been released. Uh, it, it'll be an interesting field. A lot of sleeper teams, a lot of decent teams, um, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, all playing a pretty big role in this. Um, and, and then there's some other teams that are looking to make some noise this year, like Florida, Purdue, West Virginia, Xavier, who, if you know, they pick up a big win against Indiana tonight, could be headed in to the PK 85 with some momentum. Uh, Alabama, Oregon, Villanova, there's a lot of great teams in this one as well. Yeah, no, another great one here for Phil Knight, who's not turning 85 until February, but they're doing it here in November. Sure. Um, but for his birthday, a lot of great Nike schools getting together. Uh, big event for the swoosh. Uh, you got to think this is this is one where uh, I, I could see here. I know I know I talked about probably Oregon not being able to beat Houston. But, you know, with Phil Knight's birthday coming up, with it being a Phil Knight event, with it being a Nike event, I feel like Oregon can make some noise in this. I don't know why, but, you know, it, it's just got to be that, like, you know, this is his team. This is his event. They got to show up for for the boss PK. They got to do it for the swoosh. Oregon can make some noise here. That's the team to look out for. Big game against Houston coming up too. Yeah, and they have UConn in that first round, and will play the winner or loser of Alabama, Michigan State. So they got a big like slate scheduled for them. Um, this could be this could be a really big stretch for Oregon coming up here. So looking to make some noise. They could definitely be a team to mess with. Patrick, do you have your eye on any other games coming up this week? I know it's feast week. I know that, you know, Thanksgiving kind of throws a wrench in this, but we're going to have a lot of great college basketball games. This here. is an incredible week of college basketball. Like I said, I'll be at my first in-person game of the season. I've had to do some stuff remotely uh, for Indiana's first few games of the season. I'll be at the field house for Indiana and Miami. So I'm excited for that one. Miami, Ohio, that is. So uh, don't get your hopes up nearly as much as it would have been for Miami, Florida. Would have been kind of a fun our conference game, but. Uh, the Red Hawks of Miami, Ohio. I'll be going with a buddy of mine who I went to high school with who goes to school in beautiful Oxford, Ohio, one of my favorite college towns in the country. Love that place. So uh, that should be fun. But beyond that, man, this is a great week of college basketball. I think we hit on everything. And just a great week of sports in general. You know, you look at, I think, a pretty good NFL slate this coming Sunday. Pretty good NFL Thanksgiving slate, too. All things considered, I think, better than last year's NFL Thanksgiving slate. Of course, a lot of big college football coming up next Saturday. Ohio State and Michigan likely uh, deciding a playoff spot, all, all things considered. So a lot of great stuff here in, in the States. And then, of course, in the Middle East and Qatar, it's the World Cup starting Sunday. Ecuador and Qatar playing that first game. Then the United States playing Monday against Wales. Friday against England. Got to root on our boys in red, white, and blue. So Really excited for this week in sports. I think this is the best sports week of the year with a loaded college basketball slate, loaded college football slate, good NFL, and the World Cup. I don't think it gets much better than that. I cannot wait. And plus, I've got the whole week off, no school, so I'll have nothing to do all day except watch these incredible games day in, day out. I can't wait. I, I am like a kid on Christmas right now, Jack. Well, I'm going into this week with a football game against Georgia and a basketball game against Gonzaga all within 24 hours. So my emotions will be doing a tightrope walk uh, for the next few few days here coming up. And then we got a loaded week of sports, a loaded week of college basketball. Super excited to get down to it. Um, and, and thank you for joining us on the Bubble Podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate us five stars, do all that. Unsubscribe, resubscribe. <laughs> um, and keep listening. Let us, let us know what you think um, and, and any new segments. 
any new starting five topics, anything you want us to talk about, make sure you uh, shoot us a comment, let us know. We're getting the socials developed right now. We've had some loopholes going on there. Um, Twitter's having its own. So we're working too. on it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we're, we're working on getting everything set up. Um, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for listening. This has been On the Bubble Podcast. For Patrick Feltz, I'm Jack Carlson, and we can't wait to talk college basketball with you next week.